Okay, let's tour some other verses. As we know um, from non-universalists, the Bible is replete with dire warnings um, of um, a punishment which um, has to last um, for all eternity, whatever that actually means, which it doesn't mean anything. I'm going to submit that whenever you see a word like Ionios, um, like uh, Olathron, Ionion, uh, Ionios, Colossus, or whatever the word order there is, um, that's going to mean either, I mean, if it's Ionios, then it means um, either definitely uh, long, as long as some definite thing, in which case it definitely ends, or it means indefinitely long. Um, in which case it can end. Eternity and infinity, these concepts are not coherent statically. Um, they should be understood as dynamic processes. They're, they're like alternations. And at each um, point in the process, it is, it is open to being um, closed or continued further. You know, hence why uh, even in a book as dire as Revelation, um, it says, behold, I'm making all things new. It's quoting Isaiah. That's what God always does. Nothing is constrained to operate under its own inertia somehow. God is in full creative control um, at every stage of every process. So um, so just to apply it, you know, like in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it talks about being punished with um, Ionian uh, destruction um, away from the presence of the Lord. Well, it's like, how long is that? It's either def. Why do I say definitely long or indefinitely long? Because my understanding is that it's translating. Um, well, I mean, that's that's in Greek. Um, so uh, maybe it's not, you know, translating anything. Um, but it seems at least similar to the, the Hebrew word olam, which can mean either um, up to the horizon um, or um, up to the horizon and beyond. So it has that sort of indeterminacy where it means either something definite or something indefinite. Because um, what's beyond what's beyond the horizon isn't defined. It's not specified. And that's why it can either uh, be closed or continue further. Now, Ionios, maybe there's other ways it can be understood. I talked about it in my ramblings on Matthew 25, but... Um, if we're if we're talking about um, yeah Second Thessalonians chapter one verse nine being punished with with um, everlasting destruction away from the presence of God um, not at, well everlasting is translating Ionios and then that's either definitely long in which case it definitely ends or um, it's indefinitely long uh, in which case it can end now annihilationists will take the destruction literally and not be able to really account for the totality of biblical data as well as a universalist can account for that which uses annihilationist language and which uses um, eternal torment language and that which uses universal reconciliation language. I've talked about that elsewhere. Um, I'm not really going to discuss it now. Uh, I think that suffice to say that the destruction is a metaphor for something worse. You know, when Hitler... Uh, was about to become captured by the Red Army that was overrunning Berlin, he chose physical destruction in preference to 
something which in his mind was worse. There are things worse than physical death. And God's justice um, uh, goes beyond um, simply uh, denying an afterlife um, to uh, a person who thinks they can cheat justice by committing suicide. I know some annihilationists believe in an intermediate state, and that's why I had the whole Hitler dilemma for annihilationism video, but I'm not going to talk about that here either. Um, the Really, any word that means what we think of as eternal, we have to understand that that most of us misunderstand the word eternal. We think it can be uh, for all eternity. We think that's an intelligible combination of words. All eternity doesn't make any more sense than half of eternity. And if half of eternity doesn't make sense, um, why does why does all eternity make sense? Eternity or infinity, they, these are these are potential. These are dynamic. So if we have a, a word like um, "idios" or "aidios," um, as in uh, Jude, talking about the punishment of angels, by the way, which angels are angels necessarily. Um, individuals or can they be understood as sort of principalities and patterns are they are they you know persons like you and me or are they understood to be patterns that aren't really identifiable with um, you know like a wave a wave's not really identifiable with its constituent molecules um, it doesn't really have any any materiality or substance of its own it's just it's just a pattern and the, the wave can be canceled, but the molecules will remain. Similarly, patterns of evil may take hold of individuals, and the individuals can be redeemed, and the patterns canceled. Um, you know, that's one way to look at it. Um, but even if they are angels, uh, first of all, they're not humans, so, you know, we can still speak meaningfully of, you know, redemption or universal reconciliation for all humans. Um, but the thing is, again, an, an angel that is under e eternal or forever punishment, we have to understand that is actually meaning something indefinite. Something indefinite can end. It doesn't mean static infinity. It doesn't mean actual infinity. It doesn't mean all eternity. These words don't mean anything. Now, someone might say, well, eternity and infinity themselves are, it's like they're incoherent concepts, so it's okay if my... Um, my language for them is incoherent because um, no one can understand them. So, well, I mean, here, here's the deal. It's only incoherent if you insist on conceiving it statically. Now, if you're saying that there's something which is real but is absolutely incomprehensible to any mind, then you're sort of in the territory that Immanuel Kant was when he was talking about the noumenon. Chris Langen <laughs> says whatever Kant, think, whatever Kant thought he meant by that, um, it, the, the, the definition uh, uh, as given to us simply amounts to an inconceivable concept and can safely be jettisoned. In other words, if you're saying eternity is some awesome, incomprehensible thing, um, then you're not actually referring to it when you trot it out. Because whatever you think you're talking about isn't what you're talking about. So when, when, we, when we come to, to a a place in the text that says this is a forever punishment, we have to ask ourselves, is there any reason 
that God might want to end this. And if, if, if his punishments are restorative and corrective, um, which, you know, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, in what we call the Old Testament, um, God's punishments are measured and restorative for Israel. He doesn't simply leave Israel uh, down in the dumps. He always redeems Israel, at least uh, via, a, at least a remnant of Israel, or he, he redeems Israel through a remnant. Um, there's sort of the, the, the oak tree, and then there's the sap um, that, that remains um, in the oak, something like that, I think, is in Isaiah. Anyway, if you take, I mean, I don't see any reason not to take the Bible fractally and, and take that as a metaphor for the person. Um, the person is redeemed. There's two ways you can, you can purge the cosmos of evil. One is by getting rid of every evildoer, um, and the other is by getting rid of all the evil in each evildoer. So there's a remnant, which is what's good in a person, and that is redeemed. I mean, and, and no, you don't have to take this interpretation, but I'm asking, well, I am asking why, why you wouldn't, given that God is love, given that God desires for the whole world to be saved. Now, you might say, well, you know, Calvinism, God doesn't actually love everyone. He's not actually love. He's just experienced as love by the elect, even though the verse didn't tell you that. We can be very safe in assuming that's what it really meant. Why? Because... I don't know, some some weird system, some totally vacuous and empty system that uh thinks it's 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 explaining something when it when it has this tautological doctrine of God's um uh, uh, prescriptive will and then his secret will, which is like whatever happens is whatever I actually secretly wanted to happen, like purposefully, like I purposed it, I didn't just allow it. Cuz Calvin himself says that that distinction is is osios. Okay, well, you know, if you can read the Bible and you can read the New Testament and come away with the idea that it's saying that God doesn't love it, love the whole world and want it to have eternal life through his son, then I don't really know what to do or say. Cuz you're not getting it's it's not it's not a biblical god and it's not a god that makes any kind of sense philosophically or in terms of the deepest intuitions of your heart. And it will one day be canceled. Because that's not who God is. So again, when we come to Ionios punishment, eternal punishment, forever punishment, we have to ask if it's indefinite and it can end, are there any reasons why God might wish to end it? And this is another, another way to ask is, is, is punishment somehow an end in itself? Does it do anything or accomplish anything to punish someone for, forever and ever and ever and ever, oh, and then forever again after that? Is this actually purging the cosmos of sin? Because if they're not continuing the rebellion in hell, then what are you punishing? But if they are, then how is sin ever removed from the cosmos? You get at best some kind of dreary, dualistic struggle between uh, sin and holiness. And, you know, <laughs> sin is just so strong that it can never actually be purged or removed. It's just always there to meet holiness in equal and opposite measure. Again, however, how, how anyone ever thought that was biblical, I will never understand. But that's really kind of the, the, the issue that you see with Arminianism, which is maybe a, a discussion for another recording. So no, the answer is no, punishment is not an end in itself. Life is an end in itself. Zoe, zoe you know, eternal life. Um, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense to say that God would end that. 
But it does make sense to, to say that God would end the punishment. Matthew 25, 46 uh, says that it uses the same word for what the, what the sheep will have and what the goats will have. Um, I think I have an explanation for why um, uh, the, the former will last longer than the latter. Um, but, you know, if, if, you, if you ground your whole hermeneutic on, like, um, same word applied to both groups in the same verse, then what answer can you have to 1 Corinthians 15.22 and to Romans 5.18? 1 Corinthians 15.22, some people will, will basically misstate it as all in Christ are made alive, not um, in Christ all are made alive. But I don't know what they do with Romans uh, 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. You know, same word in the same verse for both groups of people is this, it's, it's this incredibly awesome principle that can never be violated. Um, uh, what do we do with this verse? Just pretend it doesn't exist. 